the business savvy singer. Hey there. And welcome to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. I'm Dr. Greta Pope, and I'm so glad that you're here. This podcast is dedicated to vocalists and to those who love them. We interview singers who are working professionally to get a glimpse into their lives and celebrate their personal journey to success. Join us weekly to learn how to move your career forward. Get tips and recommendations to help you realize the career of your dreams. You're listening to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast, brought to you by theprivatemusicstudio.net, providing online education to build sustainable careers in music. Also, Eternal Wolf Music, producing audio for every need. And Greta Pope Entertainment for the finest in entertainment. Are you looking for a great gift for Mother's Day? Join me on May 13th in Chicago for my Perry Noir American Jazz in Paris concert. This concert celebrates the mid-century American singers and musicians that introduced the new style of jazz music to Paris and to the world. So many wonderful stories. Hear the music of Josephine Baker, Eartha Kitt, Nat King Cole, Lena Horne, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, and so many others. Give the mothers in your life an experience that they'll remember for years to come. Join me for a glamorous evening of great music. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to www.gretapope.com. Welcome to Season 2 of the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. This season, not only will we be hearing from singers, we will also be hearing from professionals providing support services to singers. Hey there, and welcome to the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. I'm very excited today to have a gentleman with me. He is a wonderful pianist, and I have come to know him in in recent years and just admire his work very much. He is a piano teacher. He is a collaborative pianist uh, with, with singers or instrumentalists. He is a composer. So I'm going to welcome him to the podcast now, and he's going to fill us in on all of this stuff. Mr. Myron Silverstein. Hi, Myron. Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's it's really a delight. Well, you're so welcome. I'm so excited to have you. You know, it, it's interesting. You know, we, we often interview singers, but it's nice also to interview those people who are supporting singers. Mm-hmm. And you definitely are doing that. You serve on the board of Chicago Nats, uh, as do I. And, uh, and you do a lot of accompanying for uh, singers in the classical style, in the musical theater style, in any style. You're brilliant. So oh, thank you. <laughs> so we are delighted to be talking with you today. So give me an idea of how you started playing piano. Were you a little kid or were you a little older? Or how did that go? I, I was very young, um, though I wasn't uh, taking piano lessons until uh, until a more standard age. You know, I, I I think a lot of kids will enjoy and gravitate toward an instrument 
Um, but speaking as a teacher and, and, uh, speaking as, you know, uh, uh, someone who interacts with parents uh, of young children, um, putting a, putting a two or three year old in, in traditional piano lessons, as opposed to kinder music, which was not around when I was two or three, it's, uh, it's a bit of an uphill, uh, scenario. Um, so my parents had a piano. My grandmother was uh, really a very, very fine pianist, and she used to come over and uh, uh, take Sesame Street sing-along books uh, uh, from the side of the piano and play those songs and then play a few Chopin nocturnes and play some more Sesame Street. Wow, that's great. Um, um, and uh, I remember, you know, being completely captivated and, and uh, trying to mimic the sounds that I remembered hearing uh you know there's a part of the famous Rachmaninoff prelude in the c-sharp minor where the left hand uh jumps from a very low bass yes. to a, a full chord and uh you know toddler-ish me attempted <laughs> to do things like that which 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 is which is a way of uh saying that I banged on the piano a lot <laughs> <laughs> that's great that is great uh, but with a purpose in mind I'm yeah, absolutely, sure absolutely absolutely so then when did you start formally taking lessons? Well, what happened, as I remember it, is, uh, you know, that I, I was trying to play some of the sing-along books that uh, my dad had on the piano, and that I was about six or so and increasingly frustrated because, uh, in fact, I could not read what was on the, the page. Um and uh, my my father, who is, you know, adept with guitar and piano and can sing, um, um, though, uh, you know, more casually so than my grandmother. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, this is sort of astonishing to think of. Um, he wrote out uh, the names of the notes and he wrote out all of the scales and all of the key signatures, which is, is emphatically not the way to introduce, uh, note reading to someone who doesn't read notes. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I mean, I certainly teach, uh, music theory and, and scale formation and so on, but, uh, uh, not at the first lesson. Right. Um, (laughs) A little daunting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but apparently something clicked. Uh, wow. And, uh, you know, from then on, I was a good sight reader. Uh, and I'm sure there's some of this left out of the story. Um, but uh, the way the story goes, something or other happened when I saw all of those scales wow. uh, right next to each other, uh, probably some sort of pattern recognition. Wow. Um, and, and, and then I was able to kind of get myself through uh, reading music after a fashion. Um, but then I started real piano lessons when I was, uh, six or seven, Mm -hmm. um, with a completely, a a, you know, lovely local teacher, uh, who was a student of another local teacher, um, and, uh, uh, taught me the kinds of things that you should learn in the first year or so of piano lessons. And then very quickly said, you know, you you should really go to my teacher instead of to me. Wow. Yeah. You were talented already. I mean, you know, that's, that's really something that is really something. And and I was also very lucky because, um, because I had uh, teachers who were realistic enough and also humble enough uh, to prioritize 
putting me in the situation that would lead to my greatest growth rather than uh, enjoying having a kid like me around and keeping me there regardless. Yeah. Isn't that something? So you were exceptional for, from a very early age. That is, that is just magnificent. magnificent. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, what I'll say is looking back, it was deceptively exceptional. Uh, you know, there's no question that there was talent and there was enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Um, what there was not was there was not a real understanding of what it means to learn a piece mm-hmm. um, and uh, what it means to develop an increasing level of skill. Yeah. Um, so certain elements were easy for me and had always been easy for me. And those were things that uh, put me in a position further along than your average seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, those certainly did not put me in a position, any anything like what a seven-year-old piano prodigy who who has been taking serious lessons for two or three years is, right. is experiencing. Right. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, I was doing things like playing Chopin waltzes uh, oh. and either playing them probably at about one quarter tempo or uh, faking them at full tempo with, you know, 30% of the notes correct. Yeah. But, yeah, but, you know, we're still doing it. Yeah. really exciting to hear a kid do that, Absolutely. I'm sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when did you decide that this was going to be your profession? How did you come to that conclusion? Um, there, are, there are a couple of ways. I mean, I think, I think, the very young version of this is is pure starstruckedness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a, a TV show. This would have been the early to mid eighties. There was a TV show called Those Incredible Kids. Oh yes. Um, and uh, I don't even remember what the various kids, the various acts they had on were. But I certainly wanted to be. An incredible kid. Yeah. I mean, you know, TV fame. Why yeah. not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> um, but uh, I actually do remember um, this would have been my first piano teacher, um, the very elementary one, saying something about, you know, like one of the easy classics to moderns Bach minuets that I was mm-hmm. faking my way through and, and saying, oh, you know, uh, my parents and I were taking a trip to California. We're visiting some family we have there. I'm going to be on those incredible kids. And I, I remember her essentially saying, well, you know, you'll need to play some of the notes correctly <laughs> first. <laughs> That's very funny. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Um, and and I, th- I think what she actually said is, well, you know, Bach was a perfectionist, so it would really yeah. need to be perfect. Yeah. But uh, but that was the sentiment. So that yeah. that was that was the young version. Yeah. Um, yeah. There came a time, uh, you know, when I was uh, early teenage, and I think that this is this is actually really significant because my skills kind of coasted. Um, between probably about eight and 14. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, many students who are auditioning for conservatory have been taking serious lessons throughout childhood and, and having an ongoing progression, Mm -hmm. uh, where they're doing excellent, reputable work at 14 and stupendous work at 15 and then conservatory level work at, at 17. Mm -hmm. And I was doing, 
uh, talented but lazy amateur work uh, uh, from the age of seven to 14. Um, And my second piano teacher's daughter was a uh, piano performance major at a a local uh, liberal arts college. Um, um, You know, not a famous music uh, school, but a a good local liberal arts college. and her teacher had uh, student recitals in uh, Wild Recital Hall. I don't think it's called Wild Recital Hall anymore. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a different donor has taken yes. the name, but it's the Recital Hall at, at, at Carnegie Hall. Yes. Um, so, you know, this was, of course, wildly exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and from our sort of standpoint of uh, being naive to what the music world means gosh to get into a recital at carnegie hall this was a rival to get into a student recital at carnegie hall it means that your your teacher has paid five hundred dollars to rent the hall on a sunday morning when when no concert artists are are giving concerts um but this was a big deal so um i played uh the chopin waltz that i was playing um up to tempo no rubato no dynamic shading uh, nothing resembling the essence of yeah. Chopin, but I did play all of the notes and I managed to, to squeak it out from memory. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the, the teacher caught on to my enthusiasm and, uh, um, had a conversation with, uh, his student, the daughter of my piano teacher and said, you know, it's getting to be summer. Uh, I could do some work with this kid for a summer. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, I will say he, uh, he, he, he did a lot of great things for my work. He was not, uh, I hate to make the blanket statement, but he was not a good person. He was oh. not, uh, what I recommend yeah. for being a teacher. Yeah. Um, uh, but for, you know, luckily, uh, it actually had a, a positive effect on me because, um, you know, at our first lesson, um, he asked uh, if I was professionally interested in being a pianist. And I said, yes, I, I am. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, how, how much do you practice every day? And I was honest enough to say, well, I, I play the piano a lot, but I don't think that I really practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, rather than uh, giving the sort of supportive tools whereby one would say, you know, well, I'm going to help you to figure out a way to incorporate real practice in your life. And here's how he said, well, you've got a summer. By the end of the summer, you're going to be practicing four hours a day or you can find yourself another teacher. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So how did you react to that? Were you practicing for four hours a day by the end of the summer? Well, here's, here's the interesting thing and whether it is a uh, asset or a deficit in my personality, I'm very wary of burning bridges. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'm someone who has stayed in, uh, you know, job situations that were not ideal, uh, mm-hmm. because I can make it work mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you don't want to be reckless and, yeah. and, and rock the boat. So I thought, well, look, I don't know for sure that I am called to be a pianist, um, but I do know for sure that if I don't do what this guy says, I'm not going to have the opportunity to learn something from him. Yeah. Um, and after all, it's only a summer. So if I have the worst miserable summer of my whole life, then uh, we just 
we just don't talk about that after yeah. it's over. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, fortunately, the guy was not just an ogre. He also knew how to practice. Yes. So after, after, you know, threatening me with uh, uh, the, the, the wrath of, of God, um, <laughs> he, he did actually tell me how best to approach the piano and how best to study a score and, and so on. And I did. Um, and, and three months of consistent, efficient, uh, and on target work has considerable impact on skill. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exciting. That's exciting that you were, you know, open to, to work with him and not just be offended and stalk out of the room or something with with his first comment, you know, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And then sort of in in answer to your question, you know, how did I decide that this was going to be a professional thing? Um, This is one of the, one of, one of the realities of uh, a high school education when combined with um, a, an extracurricular skill training, Mm -hmm. which is that I had developed progress as a pianist. Um, I was interested in many, many other things. Um, you know, and, and, uh, as concerned relatives would say, well, you know, what if, what if you can't make it? What if you break a finger? You know, what if there is no financial security? Mm-hmm. I always knew, well, you know, I might be interested in being an English teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I might, uh, be interested in, uh, studying psychology, all of these things. But the thing is, by the time I was in my senior year and ready to apply for colleges, I was already a rather proficient pianist. I had no way of knowing if I had any insights into English literature beyond, you know, junior year English papers. Um, I certainly did not think that I had uh, uh, skills as a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Was I going to go with the thing that I already knew that I could do well? Or was I going to put that on the back burner uh, invest in a medical school education and then discover that my hands trembled when I hold a scalpel. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That, that's great. So you went with the tried and true skill, which was smart, mm-hmm. which was smart. Yeah. Right. So, so you went to college and you studied uh, p- piano performance there. It was no, like, no, actually, <laughs> this is, this is the unusual part of the career. And it, um, it, it, it is, I mean, it, it's really sort of, I don't know that it's unprecedented, but it, uh, it has done, it has created the shape of my career is I went for interviews with various conservatory teachers. Um, some I liked, some I didn't, um, but none of them that I met gave very, very clear, precise um, discussions of technique. Hmm. Um, and the teacher I was working with did. Um, wow. And, and none of it was esoteric. You know, there are things that you do at the piano that are a result of the way the piano is shaped. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The notes press down with pressure from your finger that goes downward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so rolling your wrist back and forth is not a downward motion, mm-hmm. uh, even though many pianists for showmanship will make these beautiful florid motions. Yeah. Uh, when you want to press a note down, you press it down, downward, um, from the surface of the key. Um, so, I mean, these are the kinds of things 
that I was hearing in my private lessons. Um, and this was a teacher that had a, 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 a reputable, um, gosh, the, the, I, I can't think of the uh, a word that's not a terrible word. He used to call it his pedigree. Uh, <laughs> so, so I don't know what much like a schnauzer. Uh, he had studied with a long line of uh, uh, Juilliard teachers, you know, from the 1950s who had studied with the Juilliard teachers of the 1930s, all of whom were talking about this very sensible, if you want to press a note down, you, you, move in just this one easy downward direction. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, in some ways, everything I know about how to play the piano can probably be, you know, my, my textbook, how to play the piano is about three pages long. There's not a lot to it. Um, Wow. um, And I wasn't hearing that from, uh, from other teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and I was a shy 17 year old and I was anxious about leaving home and, and, I thought, you know, well, I'll, I'll just go with what's giving me results already. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I studied with him. Um, I did not go to college at all. And, uh, you know, the year after I graduated high school, um, I went to uh, Italy for a festival that he was on faculty with. Oh. And there was this tiny competition. I mean, you know, there were like seven students and I won. Oh, my uh, God. So, you know, so much like when I had gotten to play at Carnegie Hall, I had also won an international piano competition. Wow, that's fabulous. Um, and, uh, you know, the next thing to do was I I actually rented uh, Weill Hall uh, and gave a, a New York debut. First, I had, I had given a, a full-length European concert, you know, at the next year of this festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd gotten some experience. Yeah. Um, the I invited you know the critics and and so on to the the New York uh, concert. Um, it did not get reviewed um, uh, because it's you know it is no longer a guarantee that every uh, debut concert uh, gets reviewed. Sure. It, it used to be about seventy years ago. I mean, yeah. if you look through the New York Times archives every night uh you'd have like six reviews in a row of all of the young artists that were playing at town hall and carnegie hall and and so on not in the 90s um but uh the uh program was an interesting program Mm -hmm. um it had aside from you know some chopin and some list it had a set of paderewski variations uh which you know Paderewski was reputable, but not overly mm-hmm. performed. Yeah. Um, it had uh, a set of uh, pieces called Gargoyles by Lowell Lieberman, uh, which had been published just four years previously. And uh, Lowell at that time was barely in his 30s um, wow. and was starting to get recognized as, you know, the the great composer that that he now is mm-hmm. now that he's you know 60 and established wow. and everyone knows him Fabulous. Yeah. Um, and i had i had coached with him you know a couple of sessions on on the gargoyles and he came to the concert and wrote me a really really lovely note afterwards oh, nice. uh and the other thing that i played was a piano sonata by ernest bloch mm-hmm. um who was known in the abstract as a very important composer 
who no one performed. Uh, you know, wow. orchestras played slow-mo, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, choruses did the sacred service from time to time, but mm-hmm. you know, no one was doing the piano works or the five string quartets or anything yeah. like that. So I did this, this really kind of sophisticatedly thought out programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the concert, um, my teacher sent the program, um, and uh, uh, his recommendation to Alan Silver, who is uh, the head of Connoisseur Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and Connoisseur Society had uh, discovered Ruth Laredo. You know, he, oh, wow. Alan, Alan was the one who had the guts to release unknown Ruth Laredo's recording of the complete Scriabin sonatas. Wow. And not only was Ruth Laredo not a known quantity at the, mm-hmm. at the time, Scriabin was not a household name, you know, in in the 1960s. Um, So Alan had this reputation as the discoverer of artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And working with him was fantastic because he himself had been a pianist. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had said to me that, uh, you know, the Bloch Sonata was very important to him. He had been at Juilliard and he had been studying piano, but he heard... um, Alexis Weissenberg played the Bloch Sonata and decided that he would never be able to play it that well. And that was when he shifted tax and became a recording engineer. Wow, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. So he was very eager to record this stuff. Um, uh, and uh, I was also working on the Frank Prelude Chorale and Fugue at the time. And I was also um, doing the set of pieces by uh, Vittorio Giannini who was a Juilliard composer um, uh, from the 30s to the 60s. And he had written uh, the operatic setting of The Taming of the Shrew, which was broadcast uh, by NBC. Um, And he had uh, been a a fellow of the American Academy of Rome, and he had founded the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. and his music was rotting away in in the shelves of the library, not not being performed. Wow. Um, and uh, I I not only got out his published music, I discovered because uh, he was published by Theater Presser at the time. And and you know, as as you remember, there was no internet in 1993. Right. <laughs> no, there wasn't. So um, you know, I bought the one score of his that I knew existed and then called up presser and said, so I'm interested in this composer of Vittorio Giannini. What else do you publish by him? And, and they promptly uh, sent me, you know, for about $12 because things were cheap. Uh, They sent me a whole slew of scores by, in fact, Walter Giannini, who was not Vittorio Giannini. So I called them back and I said, no, 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 really? Who, who, what else do you publish by Vittorio Giannini? And and they said, oh, you know, actually a lot of his stuff is unpublished. Uh, he died and he just sort of blanketly left his estate to uh, the bank that was administering his oh, finances. Oh, my goodness. Why don't you call them and find out what's around? Wow. And uh, there is a mountain of unpublished Giannini uh, wow. works. That is so exciting. Wow. Uh, that is very, very cool. So um, did this lead I wasn't you... able to get them in time for the recording, but that that. But you sparked. got them, though. Did you, you got them. 
I got some of them. This has been a lifetime pursuit yeah. is unearthing Janini. I mean, I'm, I'm a pianist yeah. and I'm a teacher and so on. But the, the other thing that I do on the side is I unearth uh, Janini. That um, is so cool. So you're like the world's <clears throat> foremost expert on Janini. Um, you know, I, 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 I have to blush to say that that is probably not an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Wow. So how did you begin composing um, and, and how did you start uh, working as a collaborative pianist? Sure. Um, well, what I can say, and this, this actually ties in with the whole chronology, is after I released that Connoisseur Society album, it got great reviews. Great. Um, and this was in 1996. And I had now given a New York recital, a European recital, and released a well-received CD. Yeah. Um, and I could not get a single manager to give me the time of day. Oh. Um, so I thought, you know, well, what do I do next? Maybe I should give a second New York recital. Mm -hmm. Um well, there goes another, you know, yeah. four or five thousand dollars. Should I make? Uh, I actually did make another CD, a very misguided uh, attempt to to prove that I was a standard repertoire pianist and ride the list zeitgeist of the late nineties. Mm -hmm. um, and and I played some of those pieces pretty well, uh, but some of them were honestly at the time a little bit beyond me technically, mm -hmm. and uh, and they weren't my main interest. So mm -hmm. it got lukewarm reviews. Yeah. Um, so I'd made two CDs, all these concerts what should I spend more money on? Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, at the time, 23, um, uh, did not have money left to spend more money on, yeah. uh, and thought, you know, I still like academic thought. Um, and maybe it wouldn't be so awkward to go to college as a 23 year old, but could be very awkward to wait till I'm 35. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I started applying to colleges and, uh, Having an interesting backstory is an excellent way to get scholarships. Yeah, I'm sure um, that's true. Yes. I, you know, I don't know that. I mean, my academic record was not bad, um, uh, but I don't know that it was startlingly extraordinary, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that I did well in high school. What was startlingly extraordinary is I was, I was a guy with uh, two CDs and, and uh, a bunch of record reviews asking to be admitted as an yes. undergraduate. Yes, that's fabulous. That is fabulous. So um, I had in the interim, I, I had taken an accompanying class with Arlene Schrutt. She was at that point uh, teaching in the evening division of uh, Juilliard. So it was for non-matriculated students. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, she taught, much like my own piano teacher, taught really specific, very clear pieces of advice mm -hmm. that you can just keep with you for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, listen to where a singer places the consonants. The consonants go before the beat. Hmm. Um, if you want to be with the singer, um, then time your attack with their vowels and you'll know where their vowels are coming because the consonants come before the vowels. Wow, that's great advice. Wow. Yeah. Listen, if there's not a consonant involved, listen to the intensity of your singer's crescendo or decrescendo. Mm -hmm. You can always tell where something is reaching a peak or where it's about to fade out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's great. That's great. Um, so that's how I started accompanying. Um, and 
actually in the building that I lived in, uh, Joyce McLean was, I think, the president of New York City Nets uh, for those years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived four floors down from from her. So when uh, when one of the pianists who had dropped out of uh, the Nats competition, had an emergency, you know, she buzzed my, uh, the building in New York had house phones. So you could, you could dial um, 4J and ring apartment oh, 4J, or you oh could call God. down to the doorman and ask, ask them to, to ring 4J. So, oh, cool. you know, Joyce had me come in and play Nats competitions. She had me um, accompany some of her lessons when a regular pianist was not available. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Thorndahl was another, um, voice teacher who had me accompany his lessons. And one of his students was uh, Damon Plumas, who uh, founded and and continues to run uh, uh, Lyric Opera Studio Weimar. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, So I played for Damon for a bunch of recitals. Um, So working with singers was among the earliest and, and continual uh, professional things that I did. That is so wonderful. You know, it's it's great, you know, to, to be able to have a training to do that kind of thing. You know, a lot of pianists just kind of do it, but you clearly have an understanding, which is what makes you such a, a great support for a singer. You know, that's so important. Well, thank you. And, and the other great piece of advice I got was uh, from Joan Dorneman. And this was years later. This was after I had finished college and, and finished grad school uh, uh, in purely academic fields and then was going back to music in 2008, mm-hmm. um, which is that, um, you know, I've always been a good sight reader and I knew some operatic repertoire. So um, when I found out that Classical Singer Magazine convention was coming to Chicago, I, I cold called them um, and, and said, hey, you know, do you need a pianist? And, and they did. You know, they, they always are looking for pianists in the cities that they're going to. Um, and I did OK. You know, I played the auditions of standard repertoire that I knew rather well. Uh, and the things that I didn't know, I could sight read decently. Um, but there were a few places I embarrassed myself. Um, and Joan Dorneman was on a uh, panel uh, and afterwards, I, I went up to her and I said, you know, what what advice could you give me? You know, I, I know I did some things well. I know I did some things that were not good. Yeah. And she said, you know, you're clearly a skilled pianist, but it's very obvious when you don't know the repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, there are six or seven, I forget what it is. Yep, there's seven Shermer anthologies. Mm-hmm. She said, it would be about $120 to buy all of them. Yeah. Buy them, learn the pieces. Yeah. You'll never embarrass yourself in an audition again. That will be 90% of what people bring into auditions. That's great. Great advice. And that's what I did. Yeah. You know, I I made it part of my practice routine, you know, practice mm-hmm. my pieces, practice my exercises, uh, sight read through the first aria in each of the seven volumes until I felt comfortable with it, then move on to the second one until I felt comfortable wow. with it. That's great. That's great. So, so then how did you move on to uh, composition? How did you become a composer? Um, I've always wanted to. Uh, and actually, when I played the Bloch Sonata, I thought, wow, this just about expresses everything that I've wanted to express in music. Um, except it doesn't actually, because Bloch wrote it and I didn't. And so, you know, it's not that I would have revised it. It's not that, oh, it's a great sonata, but, you know, he messed up in a few yeah. places. No, it's, it, yeah. it is a one of the great works for 
piano solo of, of the history of Western music, mm-hmm. truly. Um, but it said what Bloch wanted to say, which has a lot of overlap with what I want to say, but it's not what I want to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, so I struggled to, you know, in my early 20s, I would have musical ideas and I'd, I'd sort of pencil them out a little bit and then I'd hit a wall and this would usually be during the time I was supposed to be practicing my pieces. So I would go back to pra- practicing pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had a friend who I grew up with uh, who ultimately became a composer and he was in Juilliard at the time studying composition. Um, so I brought him something that I was really struggling with, like it had taken me four weeks to write the first two measures of, of something. It was a setting of the 23rd Psalm. Uh, no, 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 sorry. Uh, setting of the 13th Psalm. Okay. Uh, not the nice Psalm, the angry Psalm. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, which, I, which I had chosen actually because it was brief. It's just six lines. And I thought maybe I can yeah. handle six lines. Yeah. Um, but indeed I couldn't because I was all tied up in knots of what do I do? You know, I've gotten oh, yeah. these two measures. I don't have any more ideas left. Yeah. So he looked at the score and he said, you know, the problem is not that you don't have ideas. It's that you've put in, put in about six or seven different melodic ideas uh, and you haven't done anything with them. Oh, you have to develop your material. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, he he's he was at the time a, a serial composer. You know, he he ultimately got his doctorate with Charles Warren, in it and he was truly truly serial wow. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, you know, he was showing me how to make rows with it, how to develop a matrix with it. Um, none of which is what I do. I mean, I am yeah. I am a neo romantic composer. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, this distillable advice that you can just take as your watchword. Mm-hmm. Um, you came up with an idea. Now, how do you make it unify the piece? Yes. Um, how can you make this idea have emotional resonance in every section of your piece mm-hmm. and bind things together mm-hmm. and stop trying to find a completely unprecedented thing that you haven't done in your music because that's going to make it through composed and scattered. Yeah. You wrote some stuff. Now do something with it. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Wow, that's great. You know, I want to put some links to your things, your playing and your compositions in our show notes so that people can hear what you're what you're doing. I mean, I, I think it is just outstanding. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you those links. Most of it is, uh, there are numerous uh, compositions on my YouTube channel. Okay. Um, um, send me the but link But I also have... Uh, I also have a page on, on my website for, for my life as a composer. Um, I can also say what really advanced my ability as, as a composer is, um, is two things. One is uh, when I did enter college, even though I wasn't a music major, I, I took uh, the composition one class with Eric Moe, mm-hmm. uh, who's really, really an excellent composer. Um, and Eric's exercises, um, were lots of fun. You know, it was things like uh, study this passage from Beethoven, notice how he has harmonies repeated over the bar line. So he changes his harmonies in the middle of the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now write something where you do the same thing, but don't let it sound like Beethoven. Yeah. Um, but one of his exercises was um, on uh, Mahler's Hansel and Gretel. And he points out that the thing that's in the foreground in the A section becomes the background of the B section and vice versa. 
So playing with foreground and background has been something I do a lot. Yeah. But the other big thing is when I started getting all of these Janini uh, handwritten manuscripts, which are virtually illegible, um, I started putting them into finale so that they could be, you know, performable. (laughs) Um, And I'd heard, you know, the stories that... uh, um, Bach studied composition by hand transcribing the, the the scores of Vivaldi, and I thought that this was the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> you know, uh, you want to compose, you should do harmony exercises. Yeah. You should write fugues. Give it. What do you What do you mean? Just write someone else's right. music by hand, and then, as if by magic, you'll learn how to compose. Yeah. But in fact, um, even though it wasn't hand transcribing, taking these manuscripts from Janini and um, note by note entering them into a a score engraving program gave me such a sense of what dots look like on the page when they're well composed and it doesn't mean that my music sounds like Janini but it does mean that I can always tell if I'm taking the wrong turn in a composition because something just doesn't look good on the page. That is so interesting wow that there's the visual component of it as well that is really interesting Mm -hmm. wow Mm -hmm. wow that's fascinating so what, do you have any new projects in the works? What are you doing now? Sure. Um, on the piano front, I'm in the final stages of preparing a new recording, which is all uh, solo works by Paul Creston. Nice. Um, uh, in the vocal world, uh, Creston is uh, best known for a really lovely voice and piano setting of the 23rd Psalm. That's, ah. that's the nice psalm that I did not set. <laughs> um, but yes, Lord is my shepherd. He has a yes. gorgeous, gorgeous setting of it. Wow. Um, he also has six symphonies. Um, and uh, much of his piano work has been recorded, but his three major, major works, uh, the three narratives, um, have never been recorded. Uh, and he also has a series of uh, pieces showing different ways to use rhythm, which was uh, his big uh, academic contribution to composition. And that's called the Rhythmicon. And uh, much like Bartok's Microcosmos, you know, the first 20 of those or so are are pure sight reading exercises. Mm -hmm. But by the end of it, you've got real concert pieces. So I'm doing the last 25 of those in the three narratives. And that's on the solo front. Uh, And then uh, in composition, I've just finished the first act of uh, a short opera, uh, which is uh, an adaptation I've made of Hawthorne's uh, short story, The Prophetic Pictures, Um, which uh, the premise of this is there's a a couple who's just gotten married um, and uh, they're going to have their wedding portrait painted uh, by a very erudite painter Mm -hmm. who evidently can see into a person's soul and whatever the painter paints is going to be a prophecy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the painter paints, uh, the couple, uh, uh, in, in a, a, a violent at each other's throats pose, which is not what you want for your wedding portrait. No. <laughs> um, so they freak out, become obsessive about the painting, cover it with a, a, a thick curtain so they can never see it again. Um, and, uh, the painter comes back to view the painting. They unveil the, the, portrait and uh, are so stressed out about this that the husband attacks the wife and she escapes and and uh, uh, you know it's a sort of grand genial story but I've, I've adapted it uh, and what interested me in it is I thought that there would be really fine opportunities to do arias about what art means hmm. um, 
And I've also tried to address some of the gender imbalances mm-hmm. in this. I mean, I, I did not want to write something where where the helpless uh, ingenue soprano is going yeah. to die at the hands of her brutal husband, and yeah. and and the painter, uh, you know, that erudite man is going to uh, espouse wisdom. So the painter is a woman. Oh. Uh, uh, the wife is sassy and is not having any of this nonsense of her husband uh, saying, oh, it's a prophecy, you know. Very cool. Um, but there are great uh, places for the, the painter to sing about, you know, what it means to be an artist and what it means to see below the surface of life. Wow. That's fascinating. That is very, very cool. Wow. Well, you've got some Thank wonderful you. things in the works. So we are going to see if we can connect our, our listeners to all of these things. You know, just send me everything that you have. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, we will certainly put them in the show notes. So exciting. It's so wonderful to talk with you, Myron. This is just Likewise. been such a Thank treat. You. You've really taken us on a journey today. And it's been, <laughs> really, you. really, it's been lovely. Thank you so very much. Wishing you much, much continued success. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. You take care. See you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good news. We're partnering. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is delighted to be included in the NatsCast network. NatsCast is the official podcast network of the National Association of Teachers of Singing. It's an honor to be part of this community and have the opportunity to provide encouragement, education, and entertainment to singers everywhere. Are you looking for a great gift for Mother's Day? Join me on May 13th in Chicago for my Perry Noir American Jazz in Paris concert. This concert celebrates the mid-century American singers and musicians that introduced the new style of jazz music to Paris and to the world. So many wonderful stories. Hear the music of Josephine Baker, Eartha Kitt, Nat King Cole, Lena Horne, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, and so many others. Give the mothers in your life an experience that they'll remember for years to come. Join me for a glamorous evening of great music. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to www.gretapope.com. Singers, have you ever wanted to improve your sight reading skills? Do you want to hear harmonies better and sing them more easily? Would you like to be able to improvise and sing more styles of music? Donovan Mixon's performance ear training can help you with all of these things. Donovan has been a faculty member at Berklee College of Music and is an expert in this field. Doesn't matter where you live, classes are offered online. Visit donmixon.com. Check out our show notes for more info. The Business Savvy Singer podcast is brought to you by the privatemusicstudio.net, Eternal Wolf Music, and Greta Pope Entertainment. Let us know if you know of a singer who is having great success in the music business. We'd love to share their story and their journey on this podcast. Send your emails to info at Greta Pope 
www.thepowerofpowerbook.com. We've had a great time with you today. See you next time on the Business Savvy Singer Podcast. The Business Savvy Singer. Singer.